he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay well hello and welcome to another episode of in the details my name is colin drucker your name is tylenol cold and flu i hope i think that's the first thing that comes to mind because that's what i'm looking at right now because well you may not be able to tell i feel like i have a cold and i need to tell you this is a podcast, and podcasters love to tell you when they have a cold or they have a sore throat or the cat's acting up, and I'm just trying to fit in. But anyway, back to the more important things at hand. Uh, this, of course, is a celebration of nuance where each week I queen out on all the acting choices, micro moments, and magic and the minutia that make a scene great. And this week, we are, of course, keeping things spooky here in the details and talking about what happens when the call is coming from inside the house, especially in two movies, one that you are probably very familiar with and the other you are maybe familiar with uh, that use this trope and, and that you know use it really well. So the two movies that we're gonna be talking about today, the one you might be more familiar with is 1979's When a Stranger Calls, which is kind of known most for the line that the call is coming from inside the house. And most people think the entire movie is about Carol Kane as Jill, the babysitter, who's getting these creepy phone calls in a dark house while she's babysitting a couple of kids upstairs and is being told repeatedly by this menacing voice, have you checked the children? Only to find out that, of course, uh, she should have checked the children because uh, shit went down upstairs. You were babysitting for a family. Hello? Have you checked the children? What? Hello, could you get me the police? If he calls again, we can try to trace it. Leave me alone! Jill, we've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. Just get out of that house. A stranger calls. The other movie you may not be as familiar with is 1974's Black Christmas, which is known also for really predating the slasher genre and doing a lot of what movies like Halloween or the Friday the 13th franchise or really any of the, the kind of knockoff slashers had done, uh, but doing it first and doing it really well. Um, and I, not to say that When a Stranger Calls, which came out five years later, stole from Black Christmas this concept of the call coming from inside the house because both movies were actually inspired by the urban legend of the babysitter and the man on, on the phone upstairs. I wanted to just zoom in on the, the exact moment when Jill in When a Stranger Calls and Jess in Black Christmas find out that the call is coming from inside the house and how each movie plays with that moment and what it does next with that moment because it's very different in both movies but both are really effective um, as I'm talking I'm kind of hearing myself and I'm thinking maybe the cold is coming through but I'm trying to look at like the silver lining I think that this is one big healthy step towards me really turning into Brenda Vaccaro which is uh, if you're a longtime listener of In the Details all 13 episodes and change you'll know is really a dream uh, if not an inevitable fate uh, let's I think we should just get into it I think we should just dive in we should just dive into the details you don't want to hear me going on sounding like Brenda Vaccaro talking about my weekend I did just have a nice long weekend in Fort Lauderdale which is 
Um, it, I, the only way I can really describe it is, and now here I go, I'm not even talking about the movies, uh, but I just want to say this. Fort Lauderdale, to me, is like the spring break I never had in high school or college. I feel like there are so many different things I've done in my adult life to make up for things I didn't do when I was younger. Uh, you know, like when I was in the gay volleyball league in my 20s. All of that was really just making up for like the first two and a half years of high school until I found the theater company, you know, as any good little gay boy should. And so uh, this to me, I feel like it is making up for all of the times that instead of going on spring break, I needed to work a certain number of hours at Wegmans supermarket to keep the little scholarship they were giving me every year. So... I wasn't going to Daytona Beach. I wasn't going to Fort Lauderdale, but I am now. And it's so much fun. And uh, I don't think it makes any sense to dive into the details of that trip on this podcast. Uh, so we're going to just focus on the matter at hand and what you signed on for and what you hit play for, which is to talk about what happens when the call is coming from inside the house. Hello. Why haven't you checked the children? So when a stranger calls, unfortunately, is not just about a babysitter being terrorized by a caller on the second line. Uh, there was a remake in 2006 that I think basically took the first 10 minutes of when a stranger calls and expanded it into like 82 minutes of uninspired filmmaking. Um, I don't I think I saw it, you know, like I think I saw the remake of when a stranger calls, but like I really don't remember. And part of me doesn't care, you know. It's actually Black Christmas and When a Stranger Calls were both remade in 2006. I did not see the remake of Black Christmas. I don't really have any interest in it. Um, I just, it, it's like, I don't know. Just seeing the trailers, I was like, yeah, this isn't necessary. I'm good. So uh, When a Stranger Calls is, it starts with this story of this babysitter watching these two kids. And she's, you know, getting these phone calls from somebody who's asking her, have you checked the children? And you know, it gets ensuingly creepier and creepier until finally uh, she calls the police and they, they, they instruct her to try to keep the guy on the line for at least a minute so they can track where the call is coming from. And so that's kind of like part one of the movie. We jump like a number of years ahead and we're following this detective and all these other kind of plots with the killer that honestly, I think the first time I watched this movie is the only time I've watched the middle part of the movie. It may be good. I know Colleen Dewhurst is in it, and she's great. I think who else is in that middle part? I mean, it's Charles Durning who's playing the detective, and he's he's great. Uh, but uh, there is – oh, it's Colleen Dewhurst, and I don't know who the other one is. I know Ratanya Alda, who is uh, best known as uh, the, the housekeeper in Mommy Dearest, is in this as Mrs. Mandrakis, which is the – Dr. and Mrs. Mandrakis are the couple – who Jill is babysitting for at the beginning of the movie. And the best part about that is Carol Kane's way of saying Mandrakis. Like, I just, I love the casting of Carol Kane for so many reasons, but high on that list is hearing the way that she says the word Mandrakis. Hello, uh, there's Dr. Mandrakis there. This is his babysitter. Uh, meanwhile, let's just jump over to Black Christmas for a second. Black Christmas came out in 1974. It predates Halloween. It predates all of the other slashers. It's one of the first 
horror movies to use the killer's point of view. It's not the first. There's a movie from the 60s called Peeping Tom that did that. But uh, it's it's kind of your classic holiday-themed slasher. Uh, there's somebody uh, stalking and terrorizing the sorority of, of college girls in Canada. This is a Canadian movie. I just thought I'd mention that. It is directed by Bob Clark, uh, who is also very well known for A Christmas Story, which is another cult classic, and uh, not quite as dark as this, uh, I would say. But... Um, I don't know. There's those moments. They have those those weird neighbors with the dogs. I think that's kind of dark. And that mean bully. Uh, you know, honestly, sidetrack, A Christmas Story is vaguely depressing. I remember watching that movie as a kid and just thinking like, oh, God, I am so glad that's not my life. It, everyone is so mean. Everyone's parents are so mean. The teacher is so mean. I, that's what I, always, what I take away from these stories. Everyone is so goddamn mean. I, I Too sensitive. I can't take it. Anyway, uh, so... In, yeah, so in Black Christmas, one by one, these these sorority girls are getting picked off by somebody, and we don't really know his story, and we don't really know the killer's story in When a Stranger Calls, at least in the beginning. And so there's that sense of, like, I, I don't know what you want from me, but I know it ain't good, you know? So in Black Christmas, the, the call is coming from inside the house. That moment happens at the climax of the movie, whereas in When a Stranger Calls, it's really the setup for the movie. And I think that that really kind of explains why each scene is handled differently or why that moment is handled differently. In When a Stranger Calls, it's really about the buildup. You know, it, it's Jill getting phone call after phone call. It's the music building up. It's the, the when she turns off the lights, it's the, it's the camera angles kind of looking in the house from like a tree branch outside because there's i don't think there's really a moment where we think oh she needs to get the hell out of there or she should have called the police sooner or she should have done this but she did that I, I i don't even think there's really a moment where you think maybe she should go check the children maybe she should go up there i mean i suppose if somebody calls you and says have you checked the children maybe it's because i've seen this movie but i'd probably go upstairs and check on the kids Maybe. Or I I, th I think if this happened today, I would just be like, Alexa, check on the kids. I don't know how Alexa does it, but I don't know how Alexa does a lot of things, you know? But and, and, of course, that's the whole thing with these movies is that, like, they can't really be remade today. I, I, again, I don't remember how When a Stranger Calls worked in 2006 with cell phones and all that bullshit. So in When a Stranger Calls, because there's so much buildup, by the time she Jill finds out that the call is coming from inside the house— Everything is at a fever pitch. You know, she has she's kept the killer on the line. She's followed the police's orders. She's turned off all the lights in the house. Before that last long phone call with the killer, she we, there's this this great shot of her like just sitting in the dark, and you know she's got this little like blue zippered hoodie on. It's just like this gr cute little nuance. It's this great costume. I don't know why, but like it's a great Halloween costume. Is Jill and when a stranger calls? Like if one person gets it. It's worth it. It's marry that person. Um, but she's so she's sitting there in her babysitter garb, just holding a fireplace poker. And funnily enough, that is also the weapon of choice that Jess grabs in Black Christmas. But we'll get to that. So there's that great shot of Jill just like sitting there, clutching the poker, waiting for the phone call, and then finally it comes, and she knows she just has to keep this guy on the line. <laughs> It's me. I know. Who are you? 
I'm not going to be here much longer. Dr. Mandrakis and his wife are coming home. I know. Can you see me? Yes. Sorry, I turned the lights down. Turn them back up if you like. <laughs> Don't. Don't. You really scared me. That's what you wanted. Is that what you wanted? No. What do you want? Dr. Mandrakis will take me home. Or maybe even the police. Call the police. I, wa I want to talk to you. And it's a worthy moment to pause here and just celebrate Carol Kane. This is uh, an earlier role for her, not her first role, but certainly something earlier in her career. Carol Kane is such an interesting choice. I mean, we know her now. She's on The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I remember her from Scrooged. You know, I, I always think of her as the eccentric. I always think of her as this kind of like batty, quirky, you know, Northeast kind of Jewish energy. You know what I mean? And I love that. Like, I... I I'm so glad that, like, the casting of Jill in this movie is not the expected choice, you know? Um, I don't know who that would be, but I just think by choosing someone who is kind of interesting, who is kind of quirky, who is really funny, I mean, you that uh, that's kind of what's so it, cool about it is, like, when you see comedic actors doing really serious stuff, it's that whole Robin Williams effect. It's like, oh, you're, like, really fucking good at this. And Carol Kane is so good at finding all of these little notes uh, it's the same way that she plays with comedy. You know, like, I don't I don't love The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, but I think it's a funny show. I think, you know, I'll if it's on, I'll watch it. But I think Carol Kane can, like, sell any line, you know? And so knowing that is, like, the kind of modern, contemporary understanding of Carol Kane and then remembering that she's in this movie and she's playing a, a scream queen, a final girl. I mean, it's I love that juxtaposition. And she's she's fantastic in it, especially in this moment where she's then she's on the phone with the killer and she's and you're remembering as well that she's playing this teenage girl who's just trying to keep this guy on the line, who's just trying to kind of like go toe to toe with this guy. And so obviously that call gets her like pretty rattled and she's just like sitting there. I think just she's just waiting. I think there's this feeling of like. It's coming, you know? It's almost like this intuitive sense, like something's coming. And then the phone rings again, and it's this, it's this great, like, zoom in on this rotary phone. Leave me alone! Jill, this is Sergeant Sacker. Listen to me. We've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. There's a squad car's going over there right now. Just get out of that house. 
is such a combination of acting and directing and editing and music and, and scripting. Like, like this is such a great combination of all of the elements in play because as Jill is hearing this, as, as he's saying the call is coming from inside the house and the music is almost kind of drowning him out, it so approximates, I think, what is happening for Jill is, is that way that everything kind of drops out and my favorite nuance what i love about this moment the most is that she closes her eyes for like just half a second and you know that's when the news has just hit her and there's that thing that happens where you're just like like you just you're 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 not necessarily bracing yourself you're you're taking in the impact and i think that one little gesture told me everything and then as the music is just you know it's just pounding and uh we have this amazing shot that's coming from really like the top of the stairs looking down into the living room and and we don't see jill yet but we just start to see her peek around the doorway it's almost funny in a way the timing of it is so great but it's brilliant because it just completely uh encapsulates what the feeling is all of the the cinematography is is perfect in this all of these jumps to different parts of the house to the kitchen to the stairs it's realizing that it's all been in the house the whole time the calls have been coming from the house the whole time you know and it's much like black christmas which we'll get to in a second the the sort of action that comes out of this is very quick and very intense and it's really i mean Jill just needs to get from the living room to the front door. But there's this other great shot where we're kind of like in the living room with Jill and she's kind of next to, it's like the doorway to go into the, to the foyer at the front of the house. And all she has to do is, is turn that corner and go into the foyer. But it's that feeling of like, as I turn that corner, I am so vulnerable to like, God knows what is around the corner right now. And I then just have to take the other next step and the other next step to the front door. I just have to get out of the fucking house. And that's what Jill does right. She's like, I'm not wasting time. I'm just going to get out of the house. And as she's realizing that, of course, that is when she sees the light upstairs, the door opens, and the figure of somebody coming. And the the intensity of her trying to get the front door open. But then, of course, there's the chain lock. And she's it's not unbelievable that she's fighting with the door. And I think in that panicked moment – we would all be kind of lost and, and not knowing how to open a fucking door, you know? And there's another great zoom-in shot when she sees, when she looks up and she sees that the killer is coming. There's this great zoom-in on Jill's face. And it's like a shot right out of, like, a trailer. It, like, it, it's mildly exploitative, and I kind of love that. Like, I love using that kind of, um, I don't know, that it, it's sort of this gonzo moment, you know, to have that zoom-in. And... It all just like, it, it's that rush of Jill just like getting the front door open and then throwing it open. And it just gets punctuated with this scream as she kind of runs face to face with Charles Durning's character who's arrived just in time. It, it's so well orchestrated. And it's of course just the beginning of the movie. And I honestly kind of skip ahead to the last 10 minutes when we go back to Jill as an adult. And I'll leave that for you to watch because there is some good Carol Kane acting. There is some amazing Carol Kane acting. There is Carol Kane on a phone in the lobby of a restaurant just earning all of the awards. Sharon, please 
do me a favor. Just tell me truthfully, when was the last time you checked my children? Yeah, it's great. I just, I, I can't go on because we have to talk about Black Christmas, but you have to see it. So let's talk about Black Christmas because Black Christmas did this concept, not first, obviously, but like before When a Stranger Calls. This is an open concept that anybody can, you know, can try out. Um, I love it. I love this this urban legend of the call coming from inside the house. And I think this moment of like what happens when you find out the call is coming from inside the house, that's when that's when things get interesting. You know, like I'm okay with a with a familiar trope, but like what do people do in reaction to it? So in uh, Black Christmas, the main character of Jess, played by Olivia Hussey, who is great. She's most well known for uh, 1969's Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and she's been in a bunch of other stuff. She does not have as extensive as a career as I thought. She's a great actress. Uh, but she's, you know, worked since the 60s into, like, the 2000s. And she's really, she's great in this movie. I I really enjoy her. I think Olivia Hussey is, she's, first of all, she's beautiful. Like, it's just, like, ridiculous. But she can play this certain, like, vulnerability and this certain um, sensitivity that's that's really interesting and uh, just like captivating to watch, and it it really comes into play in this in this climactic moment. So she's trying to find there's there's her two friends, uh, Phil and Barb. Now you should know this up front. Phil is played by Andrea Martin. Barb is played by Margot Kidder. I mean, like, I probably should have led with that. These two women are amazing. They're so good in this movie. They're such great actresses, and like, it, oh, it's just so great. So Phil, Barb, and Jess are really the last three in the house. And, of course, the killer eventually gets to both Phil and Barb, leaving just Jess. And at the end, at this climactic moment, they've finally tracked down where these obscene calls are coming from. And it's handled because I think it's towards the end of the movie, because we've had a slower buildup to it. I think that's why the delivery of this news is handled differently. You know, it's... It's a, it, it's almost kind of comedic in a way because this cop that she's talking to is kind of a bumbling idiot. Uh, Miss Bradford, uh, this is Sergeant Nash. Are you the only one in the house? No. Phil and Barbara are upstairs asleep. Why? All right. Now, I want you to do exactly what I tell you without asking any questions, okay? No, no, no questions. Please, Miss Bradford, please just do as I tell you. Okay. I'll get No, 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 don't do that, Jess. Yes. The caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess! Jess, get up! And don't go up there. Now, unlike Jill, Jess doesn't just leave the house. She needs to figure out where Phil and Barb are. I don't agree with this decision, but it does lead into a really, probably my favorite moment in Black Christmas and this amazing acting moment for Olivia Hussey. You know, this is really, I think this is really like emotionally intelligent, this moment. You know, she's, she's kind of moved slowly towards the front door and she... She calls out again for, for Phil and Barb, you know, like it, 
there's there's kind of a, a rising panic in her voice, and then it's like it uh, it all comes out in her calling for them. It's this, it's this kind of dismayed choreography that she does. I don't, I, I don't know how to describe it, which is really terrible for a podcast where I'm describing scenes and movies in detail. But it just, it feels, it doesn't feel rehearsed. It doesn't feel practiced. It feels like a very natural, overwhelmed response. And what I love about it is that it ends with her then turning and looking into the living room and seeing the fireplace poker next to the fireplace. And then deciding instead of leaving the house, this is really where Jess missteps, uh, she goes and she gets the fireplace poker to then go upstairs to go see once and for all where Phil and Barb have gone. And, I mean, the call you know the guy's in the house. Where else is he going to be? Of course he's upstairs, Jess. Was he in the kitchen? There's no phone in the kitchen, Jess. You and I both know that. And so she creeps up the stairs and she pushes open the door to I think it's I think it's Barb's bedroom and she kind of falls into the room and she sees Phil and Barb's bodies. Sort of uh, draped against one another on the bed. And there's this great shot of, of Jess, like Olivia Hussey, just looking kind of I don't know, like it, it's again this very realistic dismay. And sometimes in slasher movies and horror movies it, it's hard to find these really genuine emotional moments, but I think she really captures kind of the the innocent horror, and that's, of course, when she sees uh, that the killer, Billy, who we don't really know what his deal is, but there's a sense that he's got a history in this house. Um, he's hiding behind the door, and she just sees his eye through, like, the crack between the door jam and the door, and he's whispering something to her, and then she pushes the door... Just a pause, like, I think the most unsettling thing about this movie is the way the killer just, like, screams and, like, carries on and on the phone calls and in the scene, like, it's just, it's so unnerving. So much like When a Stranger Calls, it's a very quick moment of Jess running down the stairs and running to the front door. And I will give the movie credit that they've established as a kind of act one gun that there were troubles. I think the the you know house mother, I think she was having trouble getting the front door open, that it was the lock was sticking. And so it made sense that Jess was having a hard time getting the front door open. And so then she turns to run, and we just see the hit, killer's hand reach out and grab a, a handful of her hair and then pull her, and she screams and kind of like throws her back against the stairwell. And that scream, much like that scream at the you know sort of climactic moment of that moment in When a Stranger Calls, is such a jarring punctuation. Uh, everything is a little disorienting in this moment. We know that Jess kind of falls. It looks like she falls into some kind of like little uh, kind of entryway to where the basement door is, and then she... Uh, runs into the basement and she slams the door and she and she pulls the lock shut and I'm not going to play it for you because it's just so f- 
fucking disturbing. But like the Billy is just like slamming on the door and screaming over and over and over. And it's like you just want it to stop. It's so effective. Um, and the movie kind of there's there's a few more minutes of action from there. But that's really, um, I think, the most intense moment. And it's uh, I mean, I guess it kind of follows all the horror movie rules of things you're not supposed to do. Like she's really trapped herself down there. I mean, you know, it it's problematic, right? Because she should have just left the house. I think we all agree with that. But I I love it because the fact that she didn't, we got this incredible moment. So, you know, you try to look for the, you know, the the, the pearls before a swine, the um the truffles in the mud, you know, the rainbows after the you get it. You know what I'm talking about. The silver lining. Anyway, um, so those are some calls that have come from inside the house, and it made me wonder if there are other movies that are not remakes or blatant ripoffs that also use this trope, um, or Twilight Zone episodes, or or something similar. Um, if you know of anything that I'm not familiar with, then you should totally tell me about it. And you know how you could do that? All you gotta do is drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com, or you could go on to Twitter, you could follow me at Colin Drucker, you could send me a DM. You could just tweet at me. You could just like my tweets. I don't know what you do, but you could do it. Um, And then, of course, you know, you could go to iTunes. You could leave a review. You could leave a five-star rating. Just, you know, Christmas could come early for me. I got to tell you, that just make my week. Next week, we are finally talking about one of my favorite horror movies with my favorite final girl, with some of my favorite nuances that I love to explore which is, of course, 1974's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I know that sounds gruesome and grim. Trust me, it's going to be fun. It's a great movie. It's not about the gore. It's not about the violence. There's, in fact, not that much. That's kind of what makes it so amazing. But we'll talk more about that next week. For now, thank you so much for tuning in, giving me a call, and listening from whatever house you're inside of to my celebration of all the acting choices, micro-moments, and nuances in the details. Thanks, everyone. Bye.